Welcome back to the First Touch Podcast and what feels like forever, but in reality has only been two weeks. I am Tyler Brook, joined alongside Nate Canan. Nate, how are you been? I'm good. I missed everyone last week. It's a rainy afternoon here in Chicago as we're recording. It's uh, giving me some flashbacks to this nightmarish drive that I had. It was a nine-hour drive from my little area of Pennsylvania back to here in Chicago just a few days ago. You know, I was telling you guys about this camping trip that I was going on, but man, like this rainstorm came out of nowhere. And the worst part about it all, it was the only scenic part of this entire miserable drive that I had. And then once I uh, got back to Chicago, it was later than expected. The rental car company didn't think I actually dropped off the car. And that's just a whole nightmare that I'm still going through. I'm getting almost charged daily now, so I got like some of that to figure out. And all I wanted to do was just go on a nice, relaxing camping trip. And little did I know that this whole uh, last day of just getting my person, my my human being body back to Chicago was going to be such such an eventful day. Just stick to flying next time. Although I get it, you had to do a camping trip in the middle of it. Road trips can sometimes suck, man. Like a slight thing can happen and it all just starts snowballing. The whole th- trip was pretty uneventful up to that point. It's not like it wasn't fun, but I went camping to unwind, do some nature walks. And here, here's another complaint. I'm probably allergic to some sort of plant that's in the wilderness. <laughs> I uh, did some kind of scenic overlook thing where my girlfriend and I got lost on our own. And that was that was its own experience, but it was fun. You know, like after you... You pack some trail mix, some snacks, limoncello, LaCroix, and we eventually made our ways out. Like camping's fun. I'm glad to do it. But uh, again, it's you can't really vacation during COVID. We kind of treated it as a vacation for us. And that's why we went camping, why we rented a car so we could travel around because flying and going a, a lot of places right now wasn't really the safest option for everybody. Yeah. Well, obviously glad to, you got a chance to unwind. Uh, you know, I'm sure our listeners were all pretty busy during Labor Day weekend as well. Hopefully you guys didn't miss us too much, but we're back now. And that's great because there's a lot to talk about. Soccer's back already. Premier League's back. Soccer's back in general. Life's getting back on track. And I probably said the word back about six times there if you're counting at home. I, back, 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 back it up. <laughs> if we're going to take it back just a moment, uh, we do need to rewind, I think, and address our last episode considering what's happened with Lionel Messi up until this point, right? Uh, it, it's just kind of rewarding to me in some ways that I don't have to drink that bottle of champagne because Messi ended up staying at Barcelona. I kind of wanted to watch you drink some champagne, to be honest. But at the same time, thrilled he's not on Manchester City. Both you and I can take a deep breath. That's probably not going to happen for another year at the very least. We'll see what ends up happening with him. I think it's a really interesting situation because he is very vocal about the fact that he wants to leave still and that's again the only reason why we had that last episode humor the idea i'm a person as all of the listeners of the ftfc know that is so skeptical when it comes to Lionel messi transfer rumors and this is exactly why he had us teased in so many different directions we finally thought that it was going to happen after how many years he spent at barcelona and you know his butt is staying He might leave within the next few years, but it sounds like what held him back was some legal issues. Yeah, it's over the 700 million euro release clause, and literally he's just been trying to get out of it. Apparently he said, what was wild is this interview he had on record was basically like, I've been telling them I want to leave for a year. 
They are not waiving the release clause. I tried to find ways around it in order to avoid any legal action from the club where I've like became a player. I am staying with the team. And it's just kind of sad. I feel bad for him. Like the team's basically just kind of holding him hostage. And that's kind of heartbreaking in a way. Yeah. And that's the last thing that I feel that anybody wants. Obviously the Barcelona fans want to keep the world's best player there, but at what cost do we really think that he's going to have the best season? I don't know. Time will tell. Maybe his mind will be revitalized with some new players transferred in new manager there. We'll wait to see. You know, hopefully it's not at the detriment to the the Barcelona fans that love to see him there. But if his heart's not there, you really don't want to have a player that's not willing to give 100% to their club, at least in my opinion. I mean, I'm not a football manager, but if I was, if if you're not going to go out there and give 100% to the crest that's on your shirt, then I don't want you to be on my pitch. I'm sorry. Great episode ahead for us. Obviously, we just addressed some of the Lionel Messi stuff here. We have a great episode for you guys. I'm really excited to share an interview with a national championship winner when it comes to men's college soccer, Todd Yeely of Indiana University, we have with us this week definitely want to listen to that and then stick around we have some of our favorite segments coming up we have a pitch profile on a liverpool legend mo salah a lot of you guys would know they call him the egyptian king and of course we're going to talk some around the net we're going to go into some things that i know you guys really like out there what that thing is is fifa ratings you know what your favorite fifa players are whether they are overrated underrated we'll explore that a little bit and then of course the great pub of the week we have two pub of the weeks this week so a little bonus for you guys since we missed out last week so definitely stick around todd yegley uh, really exciting for me since that's my alma mater but let, before we get into that let's just talk a little bit about the premier league because i got we are recording this on saturday my ass got up at 6 a.m to watch arsenal fulham it was pretty uneventful it was a blowout but i've never woken up that early for the matches but i was just so excited to watch games all day <laughs> i decided that was a good move it's fun being ha- having to get up at the ass crack of dawn again <laughs> and not that we really had that long of a pause it's immediately one month after the premier league just wrapped up again at the time of recording this my tottenham hotspurs have not uh you know stepped foot onto the pitch yet that will be tomorrow morning so I'm excited to see what happens there, but there was some action that happened here on this Saturday, and I think it's probably worth talking about having the Premier League champions uh, Liverpool take on the recently promoted championship winners Leeds United face-off. What a match that was. I I felt like when we were watching that together, you weren't expecting that kind of game to uh, reach that high-scoring level. You saw me. I was a nervous wreck for the final like 30 minutes of that match. I came into that match expecting some defensive issues just because, you know, since Project Restart, it seemed like it's been a little leaky back there. But I was not prepared for that high-pressing attack, high-intensity. There were so many opportunities Leeds got because they were able to expose that back line. It was just a roller coaster. A couple of times I was like, oh, we're going to be totally fine in this. Just we're going to score a bunch of goals. Leeds just had an answer for everything. And it wasn't until we got a second penalty of the game where we put it away with like five minutes left. Personally, to me, I just wanted to say like your first Premier League match, I feel bad they didn't get any points, but 
all the credit in the world to Leeds for that performance. Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp went on record saying that this wasn't the opponent that he wanted for his first game. And I can understand why. Just take a look over to the French League. The champions of that league, PSG, lose to a recently promoted team. You have these teams that have not played in the Premier League, let alone Leeds, what, 16 years? This was the last time they were in the Premier League? Yeah, they, about that long. They want to prove something, right? It, it would be a huge disappointment to every person that's waited for that moment to not play your most intense and hard game during that Liverpool match, right? Like, you want to come and see what you can do against the champions. It was just wild to see guys like Virgil van Dijk look mortal. Like, one of the goals is 100% on him. It was just a poor clearance, and it landed right at the feet of a Leeds player who scored. But just that entire philosophy of just that high-pressing, I really respected it, and it's going to make me keep a much closer eye on Leeds going forward. I think they have a chance to finish pretty high on the table. I would like to see Leeds continue. Again, we kind of explored them before with our previous episodes. Make sure you check that out. If you want to go back and learn a little bit more about Leeds United, great story there. The thing that I found most interesting in watching just Leeds interaction recently, the Leeds manager, Marcelo Bielsa, he doesn't speak any English and he has a translator during uh, like his press conferences. And that's something that I, I shouldn't be too surprised about, but these teams have to be accustomed to having multiple languages within their locker room. And I just found it a little different that you know you have a coach that's only going to be able to speak directly through his own native language and so when you see him on the side of the field his translator's still there with him I'm sure like as you pointed out he probably knows just regular tactical things to say like maybe like cross it or press like just something that he can direct his players to but you know you see managers having conversations with officials on the sides you also see managers like when there is a brief moment of pause, maybe say like, hey, make sure you get the ball to X, Y, and Z and do this just really quickly. It clearly wasn't a disadvantage last year. They won the championship. But I just find it interesting that it's not being as big as a crutch as what I would expect it to be. Yeah, I would love to see some documentary footage or something, kind of like the Amazon All or Nothing, but with this club, because I would love to see what the interactions are like within the locker room. I'm worried about Liverpool trying to repeat. I don't think it's going to happen after what I saw, but you know, things can change. They could change their tactics up. I think I know how hard it is to repeat. I would just like to see us in the Champions League again next year. This just might be the start of seeing some kryptonite hit that Superman uh, invincibility of what Liverpool is. And I know that's going to be a difficult thing to watch if it happens for you, but I do think it makes the league more competitive. And again, this is just match week one. We'll see what will happen with Liverpool. We don't know if like this is a combination of Leeds really wanted to just prove something and Liverpool not being as... Uh, tightly knit as they once were or you know they could just bounce back and just be that invincible side that we saw uh so tell me a little bit about our guest here today i know you were super excited to have him on turned out to be such an amazing interview um i didn't know a lot about him or the indiana university soccer program going into this but i've walked away from that interview with a lot of respect of that organization this meant a lot to me i had emailed them and like as someone that went to college there like i was just really hoping for a chance to interview him the Yeagley family is one of the biggest families in Indy, not in just Indiana University soccer, but all of its athletic department. Todd Yeagley's father actually turned Indiana University soccer from just some club sport to a varsity program. When his dad started, he was not actually getting paid to be the coach, and he was like washing the team's jerseys. They weren't getting paid for travel expenses. And now here they are. They have won eight national championships. Todd Yeagley's been the head coach since 2010. 
We won another national title in 2012, and that's kind of why I wanted to bring uh, Coach on. 2012 was actually my freshman year at IU, and I lived in a dorm called Briscoe. It was directly next to all the athletic facilities, including the soccer stadium. It was like a five-minute walk, and it was free to go to the games. So as a freshman, we would decide to go to those games on weeknights because, like, why not? They're free. And lo and behold, I was not prepared for the fan section at these games. It was the rowdiest fan section, second to only our basketball team on campus. How many people would you expect were at those games whenever you were there? Oh, it had to be a couple thousand. The student section was maybe a hundred or so, but it was the rowdiest people there. It was just, the environment was great. There were a couple guys from my high school there. And the reason I'm bringing this up is like, this was actually one of my first real introductions to soccer in person. I didn't like, unlike Nate, I did not play growing up. I did not, I was not aware of the environment during games. And this is one of those early moments outside of the early world cups where I really started to fall in love with the game. Could not be more thrilled with this conversation here is our interview with IU men's soccer head coach, Todd Yegley. And joining us now, Indiana University head coach of the men's soccer team, Todd Yegley. Coach, how are you doing? I'm good. Appreciate you having, having me on. Of course, as an IU grad, could not be more excited to have such a historic coach on the show you know first off we just wanted to ask with everything going on with covid what has coaching been like especially with the season on hold it's been tough i mean everyone is um affected of course but you know coaching is is so much about relationships and and spending time with your players and um it's more than just getting on the field and and doing uh activities um so that's you know that's hard that's hard because what you're used to doing and how you build a team and how you build relationships with new players and keep relationship strong is is difficult with with trying to limit um you know meetings and face-to-face interaction so it's really not as enjoyable I'll, I'll be quite honest with you i love you know on i love to train so the, the training's fun but all the other parts that go along with it it's been tough and so i know the players are get, doing their best to get through it they're affected and as as coaches so everyone you know has kind of felt a brunt of of, of what COVID is, you know, kind of re, reimagined world of our jobs. I mean, it's been very strange, you know, talking to a couple current college athletes, soccer players, things like that. It feels like for them, the rules are changing daily, you know, whether or not they're playing is changing daily. And I just got to imagine, you know, in a role that requires so much organization as on your end, like that has to be a little frustrating. Yeah, th- this is the ultimate challenge for uh, coaches because we do plan. We we're always trying to stay ahead and 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 have con- things under control or, or things thought through. So if something doesn't go well, okay, what's our next plan? You know, it's your depth. Well, you this is everything is it, it's a new normal. Everything we don't know if we have players available to train. We don't know when our games are. Uh, we don't know when the season starts. So, you know, it, it, it gets back to like getting to make sure you're ready, you know, get the best out of your day um, and stay really present. We worked hard with that because you can get really blinded by all the frustrations that go along with not being able to plan and not understanding when the next thing is. But we're all in the same, we're, we're all dealing with the same thing. So I've tried to reshift the focus a little bit to like, yeah, that, that stuff, that's not fun. Um, and it frustrates you as a coach, but if that, if that just embodies all your thinking, then you're not going to be as effective. So I try to really keep it out of my mind. And that's why the, you know, the couple hours in the field, um, are certainly the, the most enjoyable because you are in the moment 
and you don't have to think about the other things that uh, this, this COVID has created problems with. You mentioned that building relationships is a big part of your job. Again, as you also said, new normal. Are you doing like Zoom calls, I'm guessing, with like a lot of your players or just like more phone call conversations in general, kind of like how we are now? It's like a feel for a group. I thought we got a lot out of our spring. We did a lot of Zooms, a lot of fun interactive activities. We did video. We just bantered, which mm-hmm. is part of what you need to do. It's like what yeah. you do with the bus in the hotel and at the beginning of end of practice. And we, it, but I think that, you know, they're zoomed out, you know, they, they can only handle a certain amount. So we try right. to be cognizant of that. Um, so some of the things that I'd want to be doing right now, I could be trying to kind of wedge in zoom wise or a phone call, but some things are need to be face to face. So I'm really kind of picking and choosing like, okay, I need to get a conversation with this player or can it wait and do it face to face and you know, it's also tough because, you know, seeing emotions of someone when you're in a mask or, or what is also hard. So when yeah. you look at your player, it's hard to read exactly wh- wh- where they are and your facial expressions are part of it. So, you know, this is not a transactional business. You know, we're in the business of, of developing teams and people and, and knowing how they're responding to that. You're always feeling this, the, the, the response and the response is, is not easy to read because of the form we live in. So I, I've definitely changed and yet tried not to fit old ways into the new way. I do say that we've, we'll do some things more effectively in a non-COVID world. We will use Zoom more. We didn't really use Zoom at all. Video sessions can be done creatively at times when it'd be easier not to meet. We could just do it in their place. So I'm definitely going to intertwine it in the future, but just at a very smidgen of what we're dealing with now. <laughs> yeah, yeah cause that's what I was curious about because it's it sounds like, you know, you're not able to just, you know, take someone aside and just have a one-on-one conversation or just, you know, pop into an office and then talk something through. I really do like how it seems you're taking a strategic approach of like, how do I just handle talking to people this day and age? Because it's one thing to like have that constructive conversation, but now it's like, again, that zoomed out mentality, you can only stare at a screen so long before, you know, things kind of start to shut off up there. Yeah. And, and again, we've, I mean, I've had some, you know, there's some, there's some pressing scenarios, not, not in a bad way, but a couple of things I needed to, and we'll sit outside and, and, and distance and, and try to remove a mask where we can actually see each other and, and do it in a safe way. So I've, I've fit those in, but those again are far and few between um, of what I normally would do. And again, so much of your team, you know, it's, it's a locker room time. I mean, we're, we can't even get in our locker room. It's before the practice, after it's the travel. Um, it's the 10 minutes before practice, pulling a guy aside and have a really good, you know, conversation. Um, in this case, it's, it's mask to mask and it's not, it's just not the same. So um, uh, it's not a complaint. It's just, it's more of, it's just different. And um, it's, it's, we're, tr- we're trying to make the best of it. And, and, I think it affects some people more than others. Certainly we're trying to be cognizant of the, of also what they're dealing with outside of the, I know the couple hours of training is their favorite of the day usually is, but for sure now, because they're, they're not behind a computer screen and, and doing something virtual. Players want to play, right? Players want to play. Yeah. At least you hope so. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask more about the IU program. I've heard a lot from Tyler. I, I didn't go to IU, but you know, Tyler always says great things about it. So coming from you, I want to know what makes the IU program special, especially since you guys have such a great track record of championships, like what works well for you out there? Well, I think there's been, there's been consistency of leadership through the years. There's been similar messaging. It's, it's very much a family and, and people use that a lot and they say it's a tight group or it's a family and, and yet we really live it. 
and our players feel it. First and foremost, it's, it's the support we have from the people that have played here before is, I think, unquestionably unique and different. And that bleeds into our current team, uh, the appreciation of how, where we came from and how we became varsity. Um, as you might have seen in our documentary, it's, 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 it's a unique story. And we've been able to be consistent through the years. And that's, that's difficult. If you really track most programs in college athletics, they're going to go through a lot more ups and downs. And we've, we've been fortunate. And, and largely, you know, we've been able to attract some really talented players, but the right people, the right talent, the, the pride that I think our players carry with, with the responsibility is, is really true. And I think you can see that in obviously some other programs around the country. So we're not certainly unique IU men's soccer, but I think in the college soccer landscape, it's, it's a pretty unique group of people. We're very proud of that. And um, I think that gives us an edge. It gives us an edge in, in how we prepare, what we, how we think, what we expect. And it's, uh, it's much more of a, than a job to any of us. And when your players care a lot more about just their own moment, and their own team, but a bigger picture, you get, you get more out of them. What we're always striving to do, get them to, to be better than they thought they could be. You mentioned that you have a good, strong uh, quality of leadership throughout the years. I was just kind of curious when you're looking to bring someone into this program, what characteristics are you looking for in a star player? You know, going back, the star may not be as much of, of the piece. I think we, we've sometimes taken less talent um, in, in a, in a, and a, and a grit and a, and a toughness and a mentality has been more important to us. And then you incorporate that into the, the right talent. And I think that's where this team continues to shine. People know their roles. We recruit in a way that it allows guys to fill roles and, and, and understand that, you know, maybe I'm not the go-to guy, but I can fill an important role. And I think there's great examples of that in our team historically and in current. So the qualities, first and foremost, we, we just don't, if we feel like the culture could be hurt, that recruit quickly is not in our, in our mix. I, I like to have some personality. I mean, we'll take a maverick if we like to call it that. I think if your culture is strong, you can handle a few that just need some time. You know, I've been fortunate to know and hear stories from players that played in the 60s and 70s and just got off the phone with the other day that I was a troubled kid. Like if your father didn't kind of hone me in, when I say trouble, not a bad kid, but just a little bit lost and didn't always do everything right. The environment and my father helped him become what he has become today. And, and the soccer was just that, that vehicle to get there. So when you hear those stories and you know what it does to people 30 years later, it makes you appreciate and understand how valuable every moment I have with these guys is. This is going to decide many of them on what they might do down the line. What you're describing reminds me a lot of that 2012 team. I was fortunate enough to get to watch as a freshman. I'm just thinking about guys like, you know, Femi Hollinger Jansen, Eric Zavaleta. I went to Zionsville High School, so obviously I know you always have some guys there. It was pretty amazing to see them go all the way to the national championship with such a cohesive unit. I'm just wondering, you know, what have you learned since winning that title about like how hard it can be to just get back to that level of success? It constantly reminds you how hard it is to get to the end. And that's why you appreciate it so much more. I mean, it's, it's what pulls us back. It's, it's that, it's, it's that sweet taste that you want. You want to go back to it. You know, there's so much fun that goes into getting even close to it, but when you get there to the end, you just want to go back and, and that's powerful. And our team, you know, was striving constantly to, to achieve that, but we don't lose sight, the whole process, the experience. And, and, and many times when, when a group 
finishes, it's they're not talking about the championship they won title. They're talking about all the other things. And I think that's the foundational piece that is so important about you soccer. It, the, the base and the, and the core is so strong that allows us to get the best opportunity to win games and, and do it consistently. Um, but there's bumps. 2012, there was there were some bumps and it, it really challenged the group. And it also continues to show that your, your most talented teams, uh, you know, don't always get to the end. Um, and, and I've had many of good conversations with my dad about this. I mean, the 12 team was not on paper um, nearly as good as maybe the 17 or 18 team. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, once they're not even close, just if, if they play each other 10 times, I, I think I'd bet on the 17 team, you know, getting more of them. You know, so much has to go right. The chemistry really developed. There was good talent in 12. It, it wasn't a, a wow team. And similar to the 1988 team, that was that would that kind of made its way through. So it's fun to see those teams, and then just an absolute dominant teams. Um, you know, whether it's the '83 team, you know, after winning '82, or you know, the '99 team after winning it the year before. I mean, there's some really the '03-'04 team was dominant in many ways. '04 in particular, and then these teams that you know are very good but just find a way to the end. You, you look at your 17 team and 18, which I think was as good as any team in college soccer, and we just came up short. But man, it was still a hell of a ride. Um, and I'm going to still say that team might be one of the best ever. They don't have obviously the the trophy to show the final piece. I think what I've appreciated about the soccer culture in Indiana, you know, obviously you guys have produced a lot of MLS players, but with both the men's and women's teams, you know, I've, the success people have had off the field. I mean, the careers I've seen people build, and I think it's because of the culture you guys have established in the program at IU, is that even if your professional career doesn't end up in soccer, I mean, these people are still finding a lot of success in their careers. We, we have. We're proud of that. I mean, that's your ultimate, you know, mark. If you can, if you can help these people have, have, have great lives and, and take what they learn, and that goes for any athlete. That's an advantage that we have. Many of them are, do really well in the next phase. We love it when we see a player get a chance at the next level, whether it's USL or MLS. And you love to see those kids go for that. But I keep reminding them that it is going to be short uh, and relative to your life. You need to have everything else thought through. And you see that across the board with with many of our players that maybe played in the league, now moving into into managerial slash technical roles, front office roles. Um, just one of my teammates today from the, from the 90s, David Wright, was announced as U.S. Soccer, now chief. Uh, he's now ahead of all marketing for U.S. Soccer. Amazing. Just, when you spend any time with Dave Wright, you know he's a guy's a winner. And he learned a lot of that in Indiana. And he wasn't a star player um, at all. But all those things that he took with him has allowed him to be really successful in his um, professional world. You know, you had mentioned the documentary about how the soccer at IU got started. And obviously that all began with your dad going from washing players' jerseys and, you know, not even getting a salary and to turning it into A, a varsity program and then B, winning six national titles. As a family, I imagine that required a lot of commitment and love for the game. Growing up for you, how did that have an impact on you and your relationship with soccer? You know, what does it mean to be coaching a program that has come such a long way because of your family? That's why I was. it's bigger than a job. It's yeah. um, feel like I'm working for one. I'm lucky. I think most coaches would probably feel that way, but in particular for, for me, it's um, you know, to see the, you know, the people enjoy this program at the level and, and to help the next generation have that opportunity is, is just pretty cool. We're competitive. We, we want to win. There's no doubt about it, but the, the big picture piece is, is powerful. And, and again, I get to have those conversations a lot with our alums. Many of them are like, uncles, older brothers, 
you know, brothers and now kids. I feel like that's the generation of, of my family. That that's what some of the players in the, in the 60s and 70s to me were, were basically like, you know, older, uh, an uncle. Learning, you know, and meeting those people and having and seeing how the impact of IU soccer had in their life just allowed me as a younger coach getting into it not to take shortcuts, understand where the, the end goal is. And if you talk to coaches in it long enough, they, that's where the things they'll wish they would have done different is maybe made sure they stayed true to some important pieces, not taking a shortcut, uh, not taking in a certain type of player for short-term gain when reality it hurts the team and understand that they really want to know how much you care about them. I did want to shift a little focus to just getting your insight and opinion on U.S. soccer in general. U.S. soccer seems to be the brightest it's been in years, right? We missed the last World Cup, and now we have homegrown players that are making headlines, such as uh, Christian Pulisic over in Chelsea, Tyler Adams in the Bundesliga, and now we have Weston McKinney, who now has a chance of playing with Ronaldo this year. Uh, what do you think has been contributing the most to the recent success of Americans overseas? Well, I mean, the youth development has has improved, no doubt. I mean, the amount of resources that that MLS has put into their academies where these kids are coming in um, at young age. And, and, and when I say MLS academies, any youth development, Christian Pulisic came from PA Classics. Uh, Steve Klein there coached or played college soccer is an excellent coach and helped him, you know, make his way. That was an MLS academy, but the, the coaches, this next generation, people that were my age that played are now coaching. I've learned a lot. They have more experience than the generation before. Therefore, I think we're getting better players. We're tapping into to more. And the opportunities are there. If we didn't have a pro league, you wouldn't see, you know, the opportunities that uh, that some of these kids are getting showcasing and then being purchased over in Europe. Um, and, and MLS is providing that. And I think that moved much more into a selling league um, than we will be anything. And that's, that's okay. You know, one of our commitments, Brendan Aronson, just, you know, he would, would have been in our class. I mean, he's one of the bright stars with, with the union, young national team player. I mean, he's most likely to be in Europe here soon. Just a great example of got a platform with Philly early, has done well with it, and now the world market is watching. And everyone is at a different time and different race in the sense of getting there. I think, you know, look at the Chris Mueller, who's doing very well, one of our Big Ten, played four years at Wisconsin, late bloomer, just doing really well. He's going to have a long pro career, and it just took him a little longer um, then maybe a Mason toy who just needed a season to kind of get his feet wet to make the jump. So it's been fun to watch. It's a new, it's a new normal in, in how we recruit and how we retain. But in the end, when you see these guys, whether it's your own players or these young Americans go on and, and play for top clubs and not just like get on the roster, you know, that's going to be the door opening Christian Pulisic doing what he did is only going to give the Weston McKinney and the Tyler Adams and these others a, another platform to say, you know, they can play not just in, you know, a mid-major European club, but for the top ones. So again, it's, it's really fun to see and our national team is going to benefit. And that's the most important. We're going to get really experienced national team players. So Nate is from Pittsburgh. So I'm, he definitely appreciated the shout out to PA. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I love the, I love kid. They're just, they're, they're tough in pit. We, we like the Pennsylvania toughness. You got to be. So I kind of just wanted to, I think I kind of already know uh, your answer on this, but I just wanted to be able to understand it a bit further. Do you feel like these U.S. players need to be all so homegrown? I know some people have opinions that we need to really focus on improving the MLS. I know, and I agree with you that I think the MLS is going to become 
more of a selling league in the future. But do you think that we should be encouraging players to go play overseas in the U.S. uh, or that we should try to focus on growing just the culture and the competitiveness here in the United States? I I truly believe that there's a lot of kids that aspire to, to eventually get to Europe and, and you love that dream because that again is where the, the best teams are in the world. No one can argue that for the most part, right? So, but there's a process and, you know, I say it to any of our young guys that are, maybe that's their ultimate goal. You have to move through the chain. You have to show and, 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 and get those, those positive reinforcements. And then if clearly you are ready then it's going to show. I really love the example of Tyler Adams, a young player who was signed, got an opportunity, clearly was doing very well in the MLS market, and therefore his opportunity came. And I think the chances he got with New York made him a better pro because he was able to really get action and cut his teeth. To, so when he jumped over to Europe, he was much more prepared. Now, some can do it and, and make the jump in me. Obviously, Christian did that. But I do I do like the model of, a, of an American player find their way through MLS, doing well, and then moving on if it's appropriate. I think Alfonso Davies, you know, even though he's Canadian, I think he's another great example of that. Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously helps the league. And, and that's part of where I, I see, like, we, we need to get this influx of money to continue to move the sport. But at the same time, it's just great to see these, these young kids get a chance and excel. And it's like, okay, if you clearly can, can do that at Vancouver, Davies, then, okay, maybe I can see it. Now, I don't think anyone saw his impact at Bayern okay. at the yeah. level that it is, but we're, we're excited about it. Certainly Canada is in particular. But, yeah, I mean, it would have been a much harder projection to say, okay, go right from academy to Europe. And he might have gotten lost a little bit over in Europe and maybe not made his way. So I, I just feel one, if, if you're not ready for Europe, then it will be shown. And maybe you need five years in MLS, or maybe you just stay in MLS and you, you, that's, that's still really good. Um, and you make a career out of it. So I, I do feel that maybe when a player is ready, our national team needs to support the move to Europe to push that player. Cause we're always saying, get out of your comfort zone. And there's times that players maybe should move and maybe then come back. That's, that's, that's every case is so unique. And, and people love to do a blanket, you know, across mm-hmm. all of it and say that, you know, but the relationship with MLS and U.S. soccer needs to get to the point where there, there's not a tug of war. They're, they're making the best decisions for each kid. Hopefully again, we just can't have kids in Europe sitting on benches Yeah, in their, in their, in their, in, in really important developmental years. You, you can't play for a couple of years in MLS, do well and sit for two seasons. It just, to me, we're, we're losing that key national team players development. Reminds me a couple of weeks ago, we had on a guy named Sal Zizzo who now plays for the San Diego loyal and he played at Hanover 96. And he was like, it's hard going from being that American. Everyone knows you're the American trying to, you know, fight your way into that starting lineup. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I remember Sal, he was a good UCLA player back in the day. Yeah. It was a handful. He's had a good career. But yeah, there's just a, there, there's a lot of stories of American kids lost in Europe that, um, you know, maybe their story could have been better if they kind of paved their way through MLS. And again, I just want our league to succeed and I want, I want both to happen. I think they can, mm-hmm. they can run on parallel tracks. I really do. Obviously, we ask every guest to give a shout out to a local business, usually a sports bar grill called Pub of the Week. And since, you know, I'm an IU grad, uh, I wanted nothing more than to ask a Bloomington guy about, you know, who he wants to give a shout out, who in Bloomington and IU has been really supportive of the club. Well, we've had a lot. I mean, when it comes to like where soccer has been shown, 
you know, we've, we've had a lot, I mean, Yogi's has, has been reinvented and they've always been really supportive. Um, but really one of the, the key ones is Uptown before the bar changed. Mm-hmm. Really, that was a very much like a, a, a weekend soccer location, even kind of before Yogi's kind of got into the, into the mix. So, you know, those are two very supportive uh, and Michael at Uptown is a huge soccer supporter, the owner of Uptown. We got a lot of friends in the community, but when it comes to like actually showing soccer and making a priority, in their in their restaurant those are two that have always been a priority of making soccer on the tv so i appreciate what they do we are so spoiled in chicago just because there's so many soccer bars around here (laughs) and i you know just hearing those names brought me back a couple of years for sure yeah well i remember i mean for some time there you you had to go to a restaurant to get a game because it was hard to get now everyone's got it at home so I remember streaming the uh, the national championship. Like it wasn't on any TV in 2012. And I was like, I have to stream this somewhere online. It was like ridiculous. Yeah, it gets, it gets harder. I think it was on ESPNU that day. And yeah. so yeah, if you didn't have it on your on your cable, then it's just cool to see how much soccer is on TV in general. I mean, right? yeah. And you guys are, are, are a generation that kind of like saw, it was already pretty good for you guys. Um, imagine the, the, the one older, obviously your parents' age or my age, and it's like, man, we, we barely could find TV. Um, so how far everything has come, right? It's, uh, it's, it's pretty neat. I mean, and, and that's where the league, when you see MLS, I mean, to play in the first year, the league was, was basically playing for free on ESPN. And, and to now to see $100 million deals in, in 20-some years is incredible. I mean, seeing the Premier League and just knowing that I'm going to get to watch some Premier League matches every weekend, no matter what, is just, it's a great feeling. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, I'm glad we have it. My kids are hooked every, every Saturday. It's like three hours straight on the couch. <laughs> yep. I'm like, I think it's the coolest thing that they get to enjoy this. So I'm just curious, do you have a premier league allegiance then or no? I really don't. I, I don't. And, and many people ask, I've, I've, I've always admired Manchester United and that, that, that era with, with skulls and gigs and, and Beckham and Robbie Keane obviously was one that I really liked. And I, I'm a big fan of Sir Alex Ferguson, but I, I wasn't, I wouldn't say a Manchester United like loyalist. My clearly the team and, and the coach I like right now, um, and I say it all the time, and you can say I'm jumping the bandwagon, but it's, it's Liverpool. Play very similar to how I like to see the game. Um, and I love Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. Um, I love his, what he's gotten out of that team. I, you can see the joy they play with. They're united, they're together. It, it, there's a great mix of talent. I just, I think I have a lot of respect for what he's done at Liverpool and, um, so I guess I like red teams. Uh, well, I was going to say, that's one of the big reasons. Yeah. It was kind of one of the reasons I became a yeah. Liverpool fan. Yeah. I was I, lucky I enough. I typically never liked a blue team. So <laughs> um, that I can tell you, I just never, I, that's, I think I'm brainwashed. Well, Nate's a, Nate's a Tottenham fan, so he loves to hear that. <laughs> my son, my middle son, is an absolute diehard Tottenham fan. I, mean, there I we like go. him already. I've never he wears, him he wears the robe during, you know, game day and on his couch. I mean pretty fun oh that's great i well i'm i feel very lucky that i was able to see them play at let in england it was my first time ever overseas in march and then obviously that trip had to be cut short with everything going on but i've never seen an atmosphere like that although i will say bloomington indiana's close that that action <laughs> gets pretty wild yeah we we have a great fan base i mean i, I just i'm just can't wait to see this thing bustling with people again someday. Hopefully that's sooner than later because it's uh, it, our, our everyone loves that that feel. And uh, obviously Tyler, you were you were in the crowd. You know it's it's pretty it's a pretty cool student group that that gets behind IU soccer because college soccer from the student standpoint 
is not followed like that at many places. So yeah. we're pretty, we're pretty lucky. Um, and it makes a difference. It gives us an advantage at home and our players love it. So. Yeah. Well, again, that is Indiana university head coach, Todd Yeagley and uh, coach again, thank you so much for coming on. It means a lot to have a fellow Hoosier uh, on the podcast. It feels good. It feels good. Thanks Tyler. Nate, uh, good Pittsburgh roots. We like PA roots. <laughs> yeah, so thank even, you. even though you're not a Hoosier, we're all good. Respect <laughs> there. Thanks Steelers again. Fan? What, what are you uh, yeah, it's uh, so again, this is soccer. I don't really follow football. I follow the English football a lot. So I'm a I'm big hockey guy, so big Penguins guy. And then, you know, Tottenham's my soccer team. But if I if I watch football, I guess I like the Steelers, you know. <laughs> what got you into Tottenham going back? Was there a player or was it? Um, so I grew up playing soccer. Um, and then I just never really had a huge allegiance to any of these other teams. Again, like kind of what we were talking about earlier, that it was really hard to just watch games on TV so I, that's probably where I drew more of a, a fandom towards the Penguins because it's, you know, there, there's a net, there's low scoring. It's, it's similar in some sort of ways. So then whenever I went to college, I did this study abroad program and I ended up in London for quite a bit of time and I was stationed in North London and I'm just a person that's always more drawn to underdogs. And so I got annoyed at all the Arsenal fans around me. And, <laughs> Hence a Tottenham fan yeah. is born. <laughs> oh, that's why I, my, my son actually was, was in the Tottenham before they hit it. And I, he always reminds me of that. <laughs> what, we, what's hitting it? We still haven't won anything. Yeah, well, true. But, and then my oldest son, like, always pick. He's a Stoke fan. And he's still supporting. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, when are you going to pick a team in the, in the English Premier League? I mean, it makes it even so he's going to maybe get a secondary team. Um, but yeah, he, they, they're, they both kind of pick underdogs and then he, they called me out for the Liverpool thing. And then I, they, it's fine. I, it's fine. I, I found a picture when I was 16 in in a Liverpool Jersey and I, quickly <laughs> sent it to him and I go, look, I was 16 supporting Liverpool. I just thought it was a cool Jersey back then. And it was red. So yep, there we that's go. why I had it. Anyhow, uh, good talking to you guys. If you need anything else, let us know. Awesome coach. Yeah. Thanks again. It meant, uh, meant a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks again so much to Coach Yegley for coming on. Also, thank you to Charlie Duffy of the Indiana University Athletics Department for helping arrange that interview. Uh, means a lot, again, to a, uh, an alum. So, really cool interview. Moving forward, uh, we're talking with another pitch profile. I love doing these every week. This week's request is from Blake Gwynn. Before we get into his request, uh, shout out to Blake. He was ballsy enough to make this week's pitch profile his triple captain in Fantasy Premier League. And lo and behold, Liverpool's Mohamed Salah scored a hat trick. So Blake, just, you know, little little round of applause. Ra- round of was... applause, Blake, uh, for, for that move. Flashback to our Fantasy Premier League bonus episode if you want to know what we're talking about. But thanks again, Blake, for uh, submitting this request for a pitch profile. And if there's any player that you want the FTFC to explore, feel free to message us on our Instagram and Twitter. So, Mohamed Salah, what else can be said about none other than the man running down the wing, the Egyptian king? The Egyptian King has been a catalyst for Liverpool's magical run over the past few seasons, bringing trophies to Anfield, winning numerous personal awards, and scoring a crap ton of goals. Salah has become one of the most recognizable, not just soccer players, 
but athletes in the world. How did Salah get to this point, and how did he become a superstar seemingly almost overnight for Liverpool? Salah was born in Nagrig, an Egyptian village near the city of Basiun in 1992. As a child, Salah struggled academically before eventually finding his life's calling on the pitch. As a kid, Salah was picked up by El Moukaloun, a club in the Egyptian Premier League. After some time developing in the youth team there, he worked his way up to the senior side and he made his debut back in 2010. Salah was beginning to make a name for himself with the club over the next couple of years, becoming a mainstay in that team's starting lineup. However, his career did hit a bump in the road when the Egyptian Premier League decided to cancel the remainder of the 2011 and 12 season following an incident called the Port Side Stadium Riots. For those who don't know, these riots occurred as a clash between opposing fans led to the deaths of 74 people and over 500 injuries after a match. Police were believed to actually be responsible for a lot of the casualties due to their refusal to open the stadium gates, leading to civil unrest and rioting across all of Egypt for weeks following the incident. Ultimately, the Egyptian Premier League did decide to cancel the season. The Egyptian League's suspension could have actually halted and derailed Salah's career, but Swiss Super League club Basel had been watching Salah for a time and actually decided to organize a friendly between their club and Egypt's U23 team. Even though Salah didn't start, he came off the bench in that friendly to score twice, convincing Basil to sign him less than a month later. The guy scores goals. Salah enjoyed quite a bit of success in less than two years with Basil, winning several titles. But more impressively, scoring several times in the 2013 Europa League in matches against Tottenham and Chelsea in the quarter and semifinals, respectively. And unfortunately, he continues to score against Tottenham. I'm probably going to cut that out. Don't you dare cut that, Nate. (laughs) After scoring several goals over multiple competitions against Chelsea, the Blues made a transfer for Salah for a reported fee of around 11 million euros. His first stint in the Premier League was a chance for him to shine, but Salo was rarely featured within the club. He only made 19 appearances with Chelsea. A little over a year after joining the Premier League club, Chelsea actually announced that they had sent Salah out to Florentina on an 18-month loan. He did see some success for the club, but when Florentina wanted to activate a clause to make sure that Salah's stay with the team became permanent, the Egyptian actually refused, instead leveraging Chelsea to loan him out to another Italian team in AS Roma. Despite a complaint to FIFA filed by Florentina, Chelsea did eventually agree to a loan with Roma with an option to make the move permanent down the road. Salah quite quickly became a household name with the Italian club. He was actually even named the team's Player of the Year as Roma's top goal scorer in 2016. That success in his first season with Roma led to the team making the loan move from Chelsea permanent. While he only stayed one more year with Roma, he made his mark with the club with 80 three appearances, scoring 34 goals, and he had also 22 assists across all the competitions that he appeared in. Salah finally found his way to Liverpool in June of 2017 on a club record transfer of approximately 42 million euros. That record-breaking fee was paid off immediately for Jurgen Klopp and the company. In his first season with the club, Salah won the Golden Boot and broke the Premier League's record for goals in a season with an outstanding 32 goals scored. It was such a momentous occasion for an Egyptian player that his cleats are now in the British Museum's Egyptian collection in London. 
The season did ultimately end in heartbreak for Salah, and of course, personally, I know this quite well. The club was able to reach the Champions League final against Cristiano Ronaldo and Real Madrid after an exciting season full of big matches. However, in the 30th minute of that final, Salah was taken down by Sergio Ramos and dislocated his shoulder. He did try to play through it, but it ultimately forced him out of the game. Liverpool lost the final 3-1 in what was a crushing defeat. That defeat and injury only fueled Salah and the rest of Liverpool, however. Salah won his second straight golden boot the following year with 22 goals, and although they came just short of winning their first Premier League title since 1990, a magical Champions League run that included a comeback in the second league against Barcelona ended with them being named Champions of Europe over Tottenham. I am so sorry, Nate. Salah did score on a penalty a year after his injury in the same final, which felt quite fitting. Salah and Liverpool were finally able to win the big one by dominating the Premier League this past season. Although fans weren't able to join in the club celebration, it was the perfect culmination in what has been an incredible journey for Salah. Internationally, Salah has also helped bring the Egyptian national team to world relevance. The club was able to qualify for the World Cup back in 2018. It was the first time since 1990. Alongside Ahmed Elbahamani, the team has consistently been competing in international play, with Salah scoring 41 goals over 67 appearances for his country. Surprisingly, in 2018, Salah actually considered leaving the national team. At the World Cup, Salah was named an honorary citizen of Chechnya, by controversial leader Ramzan Kadyrov, considered by many to be a tyrant. Salah was actually upset to be used as a political pawn in this situation after drawing a lot of criticism and considered leaving the national team to avoid future political involvement. Off the pitch, Salah has become a cultural icon, however. Beyond a plethora of sponsorships, endorsements, and commercial appearances, Salah was named on Time's 100 Most Influential People in, in 2019, in large part because of advocacy for women's rights in the Middle East. He was also named GQ. Hughes, Middle Eastern Man of the Year in 2019. Salah married his wife Maggie in 2013, and they have two daughters, with the youngest being born just this year. One of my personal favorite photos of Mo is with his daughter Maka, dressed as Maui and Moana from the Disney film. So there we have it. That is the story of the man that we know by Liverpool fans as the Egyptian King. It's just crazy to me that his career has been so all over the place before he landed at Liverpool. Like, I don't know personally how much longer he'll stay with the club. I know there's rumors of him going to elsewhere, potentially, you know, Real Madrid. But just the impact he's had entering his fourth season is incredible. And I think just the ultimate way to showcase that was in this opening weekend scoring a hat trick. Yeah, and it's great for him, great for Liverpool. Um, he's already going to be the front runner for the Golden Boot this season, considering he has three goals to start off the year. He's a great player and a huge cultural icon out there in Egypt. And I think it is really interesting to know how many times he has jumped through different clubs. I think the thing that I found most interesting is just the the amount of scrutiny he comes under from fans very critical of just like his lifestyle choices. But I remember whenever we were just mentioning that first loss in the Champions League final, as a person that's very devout within his own religion of Islam, he fasted before that game, I believe. And some people say like maybe he wasn't at his full um, physical stature because of that. And I remember like that was a lot of a lot of criticism from people that follow him back in his home country. But like it's it's a difficult it's a difficult position to be in. But I have a lot of respect for the choices that he makes. Again, he does a lot for uh, women's advocacy rights over in like his part of the world. 
world. And he just really seems like a great person. I, I can kind of appreciate why there's some criticism, but I do think he's considered more of a progressive Muslim. And he is very devout with his religion, but he's also very open to other cultures. And again, that is this week's pitch profile. Continue to send us great submissions for this segment. I love doing it. I love learning a little bit more about players and sharing that information with all you guys out there in the FTFC. And while you're there, if you like the podcast, give us a five-star review. We love seeing that information too. So with that being said, let's shift some gears over to Around the Net. Tyler, what do we got to start things off this week? I wanted to kick things off. We've talked so much about American players, even today with Coach Yegley. Some fun thing that happened on Saturday. Conrad De La Fuente from Miami, Florida, actually made his Barcelona debut in a friendly versus gymnastic. It might be gymnastic, it might be gymnastic. Who knows? I'm going to say gymnastic. That's fine. Uh, I accept that response. I can't pronounce anything. <laughs> what, what made it so momentous? He's actually the first American player to ever play for Barcelona. Only 19 years old. I'm not too familiar with him, but just another... I feel like the past few months, all we're seeing is just all these big accomplishments achieved by American players. And just this is just another cool one. Was he on the pitch at the same time as Messi? Maybe. <laughs> I didn't watch the game. I just saw that he was in and I wanted to make a cool thing out of it. And then Nate ruined it. Hey, I think it's a question worth asking again. It it is Barcelona. So it's just worth wondering. I remember when we had Jimmy Conrad on his big crowning achievement was just making a tackle against Messi, let alone having American player play alongside of him. So that's just where my mind went. Anyway, moving along, let's talk about video games. EA Sports released the FIFA 21 ratings. And of course, people were pretty upset about shit. I don't really think this is going to be anything that anyone's ever happy about, right? It's kind of like, I I know, like whenever I check my Uber app, and I have like a 4.3 rating. And it's like, why am I not a five-star rider like what does it matter i'm still I'm getting a five-star man i'm a five-star man yeah at the end of the day i'm still getting from point a to point b but i digress these fifa ratings right they break down into several different categories we have the the pace meaning how fast a player goes we have their passing scores ability we have their shooting scores ability basically anything that you could think of like what is a numerical measure of what a soccer player does on the field it's always worth trying Trying to figure out in these video games like who is statistically the best um, and we can firmly say that Lionel Messi is the best player in the new FIFA game and that is always interesting in figuring out who's better Ronaldo Messi yeah that goes back and forth every year it feels like for that game the thing I took away which I thought was pretty cool 10 Liverpool players are in the top 100 which shouldn't be that surprising because we're awesome you guys are well deserving of that you won the premier league you won the champions league within the past couple of years you have some great players on that squad my favorite thing of actually looking at the liverpool squad in terms of their fifa ratings was uh Trent Alexander-Arnold went on a british show and they revealed to him his fifa ratings uh, real time so we saw like his real time reactions uh, he actually improved his score from the previous year. But the funny thing, though, we know Trent Alexander-Arnold as a defender. We know him as a defender that scores goals. He wasn't happy with what his score was in terms of shooting. Yeah, so I believe it's 1 to 99. You know, obviously people don't get ones, but 1 to 99 for any any skill. And he got a 66 in shooting. And he was like, do you know how many goals I score? Like, what the hell, man? I do think his reasoning was like, well, I guess my number is 66. So that's probably why they gave me 66 shooting. I can't be that awesome. Uh, I, I appreciated he was, you know, 
pretty upbeat about it. My favorite story, though, and just in general, of people being pissed about their FIFA ratings was Lukaku over at Inter Milan. Now, that's a player who's really come out of their shell and just improved across the board since leaving Manchester United and going over to Syria. The guy scored 34 goals across all competitions last year, and his rating didn't change. <laughs> like his direct quote after he saw what his FIFA rating was, I ain't with this shit. And that's just the most raw and human reaction. You're like, oh, come on, man. I ain't with this shit. What's going on? Yeah, he had to tweet about it. He's like, we all know what FIFA is doing. They're just doing this to upset people and get people talking. If there's anyone that deserved a bump, man, like even I was kind of a doubter of Lukaku you know, last season and he's proven me wrong. Absolutely. He went off this year. So it, it, that's a little ridiculous. I think at the end of the day, it's a video game. They're still going to, I, I think it'd be wrong to say that someone's out there day in, day out on the training grounds trying to say, you know what I'm going, my goal this year is to improve my FIFA rating. <laughs> you know, they're, they're out there with their own goals in mind, trying to win championships, maybe getting promoted and or getting, uh, you know, a large transfer fee to move somewhere. I have a hard time imagining that anyone is trying to like, let me be better this year to improve my FIFA rating. But it's just so funny, all the negative reactions that happen whenever the new FIFA game comes out from these professionals. We'll obviously be playing it once it comes out. So, you know, who are we getting? We're talking about it right now, and we're very excited. I'm still playing out. FIFA 13 because we have Alex Morgan on the cover of that. We need we need more representation of United States players and just women's players in general. And I'm just saying this because Alex Morgan is now a member of the Tottenham Hotspurs women's team, and I just need to scream that from the rafters because I'm so stoked for it. I was worried we weren't going to bring that up, actually, now that I think about it. But yeah, how awesome is that all these women are going to the women's Premier League teams? Not just her. We're seeing Kristen Press, Tobin Heath. I think we're seeing Carly Lloyd like going to Manchester United, Manchester City. Like All of a sudden, all the United States women are going to be playing in England, and it's another reason to watch some more Premier League. You're right, and... I think it's a smart move across the board for everyone. I think it's going to, one, make them more money that they deserve. And I think it's also going to get some more eyes to these women's leagues in general. Again, Europe dominates the soccer viewership. So maybe they'll start to get more people paying attention to the women's leagues as well because they have the best women's players in the world, aka the United States women's players playing there now. So I think it's a win-win situation for everyone. It might just be my next kit. I might just be rocking an Alex Morgan Tottenham jersey because that's real and I can do that. And she she has the best number, number 13. Yes, stay tuned for what Nate's next kit purchase will be. <laughs> do not believe that we have anything else for around the net. Uh, always enjoy talking about some stuff we're just seeing on the internet that just makes us laugh, makes us smile, sometimes pisses us off. For the pubs of the week, we just wanted to give another quick shout out to those guys. Uh, obviously, personally, I do because you know these are my old stomping grounds. Pubs of the week this week, thanks to Coach Yegley, were Uptown Cafe on Kirkwood, very well-known street in Bloomington, and then the new Yogi's. Yogi's had been shut down for a couple years. It is now back at 302 North Walnut Street, just right on campus. So glad to see that Yogi's is back. Yep, continue to submit your Pub of the Weeks out there as well. You can find us on social media. Send those our way. Let us know where you love watching the beautiful game at. And we already have such a great list of bars to check out for everyone once uh, you know things return to normal around here. When you find yourself there, tell them the FTFC sent you. 
And that's just going to be about it here with the FTFC First Touch Podcast. Thank you guys again, week in, week out. We do this for you. We love spreading the words of the beautiful game out there and creating this amazing soccer environment. If you like this environment that we're doing, head over to where you listen to this podcast and you know share us with your friends, share us with your family, and give us a five-star review if it comes from your heart. That means so much to us, and it really helps get the messaging out of the First Touch Football Club club podcast out there to ears that it needs to be in and with that we'll leave you the same way that we leave you every week here at the ftfc saying there is no room for racism